So welcome. So uh, glad to be here today. My name's Pastor Chris. I'm here, the, the pastor of Table Life Church. And if you're joining us online or if you're here in person, um, it's the first Sunday of the new year. And guess what, y'all? Y'all have perfect church attendance. So go tell grandma, go tell, you know, somebody that you can share that kind of stuff with. You have perfect church attendance. The only day I can probably say that for most of us. But um, anyway, it's great to be here. And and as we start a new year, it's usually time uh, to imagine new hopes and dreams for our lives. It's a very natural thing to do. But but as we start out the this message today and also just the new year as a whole, I want to ask you a bigger question. And that question is, is there a gap between where you are now and where you imagine you want to be? Is there a gap between where you are now and where you imagine you'd want to be? And I ask that also as our church. Is there a gap between where we are now and where we imagine we want to be, where we imagine God wants us to be? And I ask that because I hope that there is. I hope that there is a gap because we follow a God who is making all things new. And that's including us, us as individuals and also as a community We're all what I consider works in progress. Nobody's quite there. There's always a gap for us, for the world, for our community, and also for our church. And what's interesting, though, is that gap between where we are now and where we would like to be is what we call a dream. A dream. And for many of us, I think especially over the last two years or so, many of us, for a lot of reasons, have stopped dreaming. We've stopped dreaming. Whether we've grown up, grown older, whether we've been in survival mode, just trying to go through the ins and outs of of daily life, many of us also have been afraid to dream. Afraid to dream because of the failures, because of maybe we've had dreams before and they haven't come out as we've expected. But also I think many of us have forgotten how to dream. Remember when you were like this high? You had all these, you looked up at the sky, you had all these dreams, aspirations, you know, and then you see yourself now like we've forgotten how to dream. Well, we're going to spend time in this series, this new series that we're starting today that's going to take us all the way till Lent, and it's called Start Dreaming Again. We're going to be talking about dreams and less about dreams about what you're going to do and more about dreams about who you are to become, who you're becoming. And, and of course, this is church, and church is about more than you. It's about God's dreams and what God is up to in the world. And we're going to explore how God has planted dreams in our hearts and how to understand them. But also we're going to be looking at in this series about who God is calling Table Life Church to be. It, that 2022, however you want to say that, pronounce that. I know there's lots of memes and things going around social media. But 2022 is to be the year to start dreaming again. And so today is a kind of prologue to the series. that We're celebrating what's called historically in the church Epiphany Sunday. And also in your worship guide, there's some notes about that if you want to follow along with me. That if you're the note-taking type, those of you guys online, you can also print that out or uh, download that. And so on Epiphany Sunday... We celebrate the coming of the Magi, the Magi in the church calendar. 
The rest of the series, we're going to be traveling with a guy named Joseph, looking at a story of Joseph in the Old Testament scriptures. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Joseph that we've gone through, through the Christmas story, the Mary and Joseph in the New Testament scriptures. But it's really interesting. Epiphany was historically one of the only three holidays that the church celebrated for many, many years. It was one of the three original holy days, and the other two were Easter and Pentecost. I didn't say Christmas. It's older than celebrating Christmas, that the early believers actually celebrated Epiphany before they celebrated Christ's birth. And there's reason for that, because the word Epiphany, it means manifestation or disclosure especially of something supernatural. And so the early Christians saw this, saw this celebration as the ultimate revealing of Christ for all people, for all people, just as God had promised. It wasn't relegated to a certain group of people, but it was for all people. And the story of the Magi coming to see the Christ child is a story of dreams, and it's a story of kings, a story of kings. So I'm going to ask you, who comes to mind when I mention king? There's probably a picture of what that looks like. I don't know if you know any of these folks that we're going to put up on the screen. What's that king? The Lion King, and his name is Simba, right? Simba, one of my favorite, favorite movies of all time. What about this king, this next one? Not a favorite one. That's like the original, like, you know, what was that back? I forget the days, like in the 20s or, or so, 30s maybe, that, that King Kong came out. Correct me. Somebody's going to correct me after the service. Go ahead and go ahead and do it because I don't know. What about this king? Burger King. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got some cheers over here. Yes. Burger King, home of the Whopper, right? How about this guy? King James. Yes. The man. The man. What about this guy? Another king. Stephen King. Anybody read all of his stuff? Yes. Yeah, one of our sound guys in the back. Stephen King, big fan in this king. B.B. King. Yes. Yes. Lots and lots of kings. And what's interesting is that each of these kings we just showed, uh, they all had dreams. They all had big dreams. And they're also kings that, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind being, right? The fame, the the kind of achievements there. But in today's scripture, we're going to focus on a king I doubt any of us would want to be. A king who is kind of the villain in the birth narrative of Jesus in the Gospels. A king that we often gloss over. But I dare say that I think we have more in common with him than we'd like to admit. There's a part of him in each of us, in a dream that we may have in common with him. It's something to pay attention to as we make plans and goals and dreams in a new year and shows us how some dreams can actually turn dangerous, can actually turn dangerous when we seek control. And this king, he had a name, and his name was King Herod the Great. King Herod the Great. He was known as the Roman client king in the Judea in the first century. And that means basically that Rome crowned him. Nobody voted. Nobody decided. Rome basically gave him the crown. And what's interesting is, too, he wasn't even Jewish. He was governing a Jewish land, and that made people really, really mad, too. But 
He was very successful. He was smart. He was talented. He was ambitious. He was known as a builder. He's, he rebuilt the Jewish temple. He built cities, aqueducts, fortresses. The economy was doing amazing under his rule. He was, had great success. But let me give you a little background story on Herod. So the year is 44 BC. And there's a guy named Octavius. You might not know his name, but you may know the name of Caesar Augustus, who he became when he became Caesar. And Octavius had a friend you may also know, and his name was Mark Antony. Mark Antony. And together, Octavius and Mark Antony wanted to avenge the death of Julius Caesar, who had been killed. But afterwards, after they avenged that death, everybody realized that there would only be one person in charge of all of it. And that's when Herod entered the story. Herod came in and he befriended Mark Antony. And Mark Antony had a very well-known wife. And her name was what? Cleopatra. Cleopatra. And the thing was, the Roman citizens absolutely hated her. They hated her, but Herod hosted them. He gave them money. He endorsed them fully. He supported them. But soon there was a civil war and Herod bet on the wrong horse. Because you know who became emperor of Rome? Octavius, who became Caesar Augustus and rode to power. So that put Herod in a very difficult position. He's in hot water because he endorsed the wrong guy, right? And so everybody's thinking, oh gosh, he's going to be killed. He's going to be sent away, whatever. Something bad's going to happen to him. But he was very, very smart. He was shrewd. Because what did he do? He went to the island of Rhodes, where the new Caesar Augustus was staying at the time. And he actually went there and he knocked on the door and asked to see Caesar Augustus. He asked to speak to the emperor. Everybody thinks he is absolutely insane. Why would you do that? Wouldn't you run away from the whole situation? He's an enemy of the state. But Caesar Augustus, when he meets with Herod, he's impressed. He's impressed because he pledges his royalty and his loyalty to Caesar Augustus. And Herod basically says, he says, as I was loyal to Mark Antony, so will I be loyal to you. And guess what happened? He expands Herod's kingdom and gives him the gift. He blesses him in a way. Herod's dream was to preserve his kingdom, preserve his kingdom, not let anything get in the way of his dream. He wanted to preserve his kingdom at any cost. He wanted to be in control. He's very ambitious. And what's interesting is the irony was part of his dream was to help other people. He made all these buildings. He improved the economy. He made things so wonderful. But also, he wound up changing his will four times. Get this. He went through ten wives. He went through four sons. He had all of them executed because he was so committed to control. Controlling what he had. Controlling his life. And also, he was known in Jerusalem for murdering rabbi after rabbi because they would challenge him or say something about him. So think about that for a second. What do we do to stay in control? What do you do when you feel like things are out of control? What's your go-to? Sometimes it's to hurt those who are closest to you. Sometimes it's to hurt yourself. We don't like to admit it when things are out of control. But by the time 
by the time Herod enters the story we see in the Gospels, by the time he's mentioned in the Gospels, he's 74 years old. He has kidney disease. And he wanted his legacy carried on. But at that point, he gets the worst news possible. Because the worst news for him is that five miles south, there is a new king. There's a new king. And the new king is a toddler. This new king is just learning to walk. And Matthew tells us, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So the Magi, who are they? They're the ancient astrologers. They're foreigners to this country. They travel thousands and thousands of miles. They're rich and they're well-respected. And sometimes they're called kings. We three kings, we just sang. We don't know if there were three. That's kind of a tradition of the church. There could have been five. Maybe they brought burgers and fries. Who knows? There could have been a hundred of them all joined together. Scripture doesn't really say that. But what they did do is they, they entered Jerusalem because they thought that they were following a star. They believed that the star marked, marked the birth of a king. And they wanted to go and know where he was. The Magi asked around and they go into Jerusalem and they're like, hey, we saw a star. Like that means there's a birth of a king. And imagine all the people around there were saying like, shh, don't mention this because, you know, do you know Herod? This guy is crazy. They knew him. They knew when Herod would hear that there would be a rival for him, he would be very, very disturbed. And the word there that Matthew uses in the Greek it doesn't just mean disturbed. It means probably what we would say, like a ba- very bad word here. <laughs> he was he was really, really angry. <laughs> it was dangerous when he was disturbed. But now he was older. He was in pain. And his dream of being in control was at risk. See, we look at our own stories of our dreams and being in control. Sometimes, dare I say, our dreams may be in the wrong direction. But how do you tell? How do you tell? Well, the question would be, who are you becoming? What is the fruit of following that dream? See, because a dream in the wrong direction will cause destruction. And and just to relate it to us, um, maybe you've had a dream of being married and you pursued that at all costs and it didn't end well. It ended in a disaster. You didn't trust. You didn't wait. Maybe you've had a dream for business and being in control and building things until you were super successful, but you ran over people to get there. Maybe just a dream of just being happy, a happy life. But that led you down a path of experimenting with substances, things that you never thought would have happened. Maybe a dream of of just a pleasure in life, and you started to maybe look at pictures that maybe you shouldn't need, you shouldn't have to. And then now you see the effects of that in your relationship and how it's messed you up. And, and also in church, this happens too. There's pastors that pursue church growth at any expense. I just finished a podcast that had a whole story of a church, a mega church that exploded because of things that went on and how many people were hurt. And maybe 
maybe why you, maybe for you, maybe you don't dream anymore. And maybe why you don't dream anymore is because you saw how someone else's dreams, where that led and how it hurt you and you were run over and you saw how dangerous it could be. But maybe the problem isn't about dreaming itself. Maybe it's the direction of our dreams. Is your dream about being in control and preserving your kingdom or the mirage that you're in control? Or is it about something bigger? Is it about something more? See, Herod goes on to hold two secret meetings once he hears that these magi are in town. And Matthew continues and tells us when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, second meeting, secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Liar, right? Liar, liar, pants on fire. So Herod, he holds these two meetings, first with the leaders, asking where the Messiah was to be born. And they basically say, you should know, you should know this. You're the king of the Jews, aren't you? And of course, he didn't come from a Jewish heritage, but they're saying you should know this, right? You're our coach. You should know how, if you're a coach of a basketball team, you should know how to play basketball, but he doesn't. But then he meets with the Magi themselves. And he shrewdly sends them off to be his scouts. And the story continues. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen, where it rose, where it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And, get this, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi's dream, a little different than Herod's. It was about joining a different kingdom. Joining a kingdom. Joining a story that was bigger than them. Not preserving control, but offering control. Giving up their control. What was the Magi's response to seeing Jesus? Instead of being threatened by him, they worshipped him. They worshipped. See, worship isn't just the music we do. Worship isn't a service. It's recognizing you are in the presence of someone that deserves your awe. And you're willing to do whatever it is to express that. And that's what the Magi do. In the presence of this child, they drop to their knees and they worship. And that's interesting because they're not even Jewish. They're outsiders. They're people from the world that are now entering into the story of Jesus. They had a comfortable life, but they had been searching for something more. See, the wise men, they had had this choice to stay at home and stay in control of their kingdoms or to take a risk and to follow the direction of one who was worthy of their gifts and admitting the need that they had. Knowing it was going to be messy. It was going to be risky. There could be trouble involved, which we see in the story. And the Magi kind of mess with our idea of coming to faith in Christ. 
Because kings don't have believers. They have followers. Jesus didn't primarily come to give us heaven access. He came to be followed. CBC on the other side of the town, just five miles away, a different response to the coming of Christ. We see Herod, who is pacing, looking, waiting, waiting for the Magi, and they're not coming. They're, he's waiting, and he's, he's looking, and he's stressed out because he's wondering, where are they? He's obsessed with being in control. But God, God steps in. That verse 12, God steps in and uses something to speak to the Magi and then to Joseph. A dream, a dream. This time, a kind of sleepy time kind of dream. A dream that warned the Magi, don't go back to Jerusalem. A dream that also warned Joseph, you got to get out of here. You need to escape to Egypt. Take Mary, take Jesus, grab them and go. See, dreams can be a warning. Dreams can warn us. They can warn us of a clash of kingdoms but they can also cause us to pause before proceeding and maybe change our direction because of it. So wrapping up the story, Matthew tells us when Herod realized he had been outwitted, he became absolutely furious, beyond disturbed. And whenever he was furious, people suffered and people died. And he always had been able to figure out how to fix things, how to remain in control and control the outcomes, but he couldn't do it this time. So his kingdom was so, so important to him that he did something unimaginable. He gave orders to get rid of all the baby boys. He went nuclear. We do that. We don't do it maybe to that extent, but have you ever destroyed something because you couldn't get what you wanted? Imagine Mary and Joseph... After hearing the news, after they were on their way to Egypt, they heard that news and they had something they had to live with their entire lives, knowing that there were casualties because of Herod's response. And within the same year, though, Herod dies a painful death, even tries to commit suicide. And even before he died, this is this tells you the character of Herod. He said, round up all the wealthy and put them in prison and execute them just so that when I die, someone will be mourning and crying tears. But you know what's interesting? Just 80 years after his passing, everything that Herod had built and made was absolutely gone. It was gone. It was gone. It was history. Do we even talk about Herod? You know, most of us, without this story, we don't even think of him because 2,000 years later, he's not remembered for his work or what he achieved or his intelligence. He's basically a footnote in the story of Jesus. Your dreams reveal your king. Your dreams, our dreams, reveal our king. Who it is that we worship, who it is that we're after. Is, Is it about our control and staying in control of what we want? Or is it surrendering, surrendering and even maybe sacrificing, just like the Magi, to come to Christ and say, hey, you know what? You take it. This isn't mine. See, folks, we're called to have king-sized dreams, but the king isn't you and the king isn't me. It's first about his kingdom. Dreams can become dangerous when we worship them, when they're not bigger than us. And we know this, we can spend our whole lives building our kingdom instead of participating in the kingdom of God. 
to worship things that were never meant to to bear the weight of our worship. We can fight for things that eventually we're going to have to give up anyway. The first step, though, is to admit we're not in control. We're not in control. To give up control and, like the Magi, to admit our need. So dreams can be a warning. They can be very revealing. But what if, what if we use them in a way that the Magi did to lead us to a place maybe we never thought that we would go, but where we would encounter Christ, to dream on, to dream together in this new year. Not a dream that's about what I'm going to do and accomplish and get this checklist and so on, but a king-sized dream. It's focused on a bigger story than you. And that's why we come to the table. Because you and I, I know myself, we drift. We drift. And, and each, even, even each week, on a, on a daily basis, we drift away. You might start your day and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to focus on you today, God, what you want me to do. I offer this to you. And then by the end of the day, it's like, oh, man, right? You ever get that feeling? And that's where we meet God and God meets us around the table because we need his grace. We need his guidance. We need his direction. That doesn't mean that we don't do anything. It doesn't mean we sit on the couch and eat bonbons and let God do what God's going to do. We participate in his mission. We participate in his story. We participate in his kingdom.